Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Okay, here we go. Okay. All right, let me get into my podcast persona. All right. Well, welcome everybody to Mental Status. I am your host, Meg. This is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. And I have a very special guest today who I'm super excited to be talking with. And I'd like to let them introduce themselves. So special guest, who are you? Where are you? And how are you doing today? Hi, Meg. Thank you. I am, uh, my name is Allie Lynn. Um, I'm in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I am, (laughs) I'm a little all over the place today. We had a little bit of an issue. Um, Didn't sleep a lot, kind of anxious. uh, Spill my water, trying to get my headphones, burned the headphones on the candle. (laughs) So (laughs) happy to be here and happy to move forward. Yes, there were some some of those like domino effect uh, technical issues before we hit record, but we are ready to go, hopefully. Um, it's really good to have you here. So thank you um, for coming today. Okay, so like this is where we just let's dive right in head first. Um, Allie, can you tell us your burnout story? Sure. So We'll start backwards uh, by saying what I do now, um, because I am no longer practicing therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, So I became a copywriter almost two years ago. Um, I write uh, for therapists in private practice, mostly like I do a lot of websites and blogs and psychology today profiles and um, emails and newsletters and things like that. specifically for therapists in private practice who are avoiding burnout at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, Most Mm -hmm. of them have gone into private practice for that reason. Uh, But the reason I got here is because I first went into the field of therapy in 2013. um, And I started working in inpatient psych as a dance movement therapist, um, doing both dance therapy and um, like regular CBT talk therapy, psychoeducation, things like that. Um, I did inpatient for four years and got so burnt out in so many ways that I didn't even see <laughs> that were coming that it affected my mental health so much that I was unable to even go back. I had to take a short-term leave of absence because my health had plummeted. Um, my mental health had majorly plummeted. Um, I began hurting myself. I was not sleeping. I wasn't even drinking enough water. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was having panic attacks at work Mm -hmm. to the point where I couldn't 
lead a group, someone would have to step in and lead for me and, um, or I couldn't get out of bed and get to work. Mm-hmm. Um, my mental health sick days were racking up pretty quickly. Um, and I didn't know how bad it was until I finally started like the first day that I hurt myself, I was like, Oh, we have a problem. Like mm-hmm. I, I can't go here anymore. Um, and then I tried So then I was off of work for like six months. And then I tried another psychiatric hospital. I was like, great, let's try this again. Different, different boss, different environment. I had interned there when I was Mm -hmm. in grad school and same story, only shorter period of time because I left after a month. Mm -hmm. And then wouldn't you know it? I tried it again, except this time I was like, I won't be full-time. I'll do part-time and I'll just be a per diem at a different hospital that I had also worked at right out of grad school. Um, same thing. I mean, it was like, duh, Allie, what are you doing? We just, you keep, you know, going over and over and over and it's just not working. So I then switched to uh, working with um, children and teenagers with autism for mm-hmm. about a year, um, like on a part-time basis. And I, you know, it was so interesting Meg, because I felt like working part-time didn't mean that I was a real therapist. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like I had failed even then before yeah. I'd even left the field. And then what was happening was I was still burning out. It was just different. Um, I was getting these awful stress-induced migraines where I would like fall down um, mm. their vestibular. So like you lose your balance and the world goes spinning and you just kind of fall over and then have a headache. Um, and I would get these pretty much every day when I was mm. working there. And so I finally, um, yeah, in 2018, it was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, so that led me to trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and that took a year of like, you know, dog walking and (laughs) trying to, I knew I wanted to be a writer at that point. I learned what freelance writing was, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know what it meant to be a copywriter. I didn't know I could write for therapists. And so it took a while to get there. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the overall story of what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I'm listening, I'm just reminded of, you know, like other stories <clears throat> that I've heard from folks about how to, to no one's fault, how long it can take us to recognize the, um, the severity of burnout, um, until it, you know, maybe quite literally puts us on our ass um, and how much there is a like internalized, but also externalized stigma against, you know, maybe leaving the field or feeling like a failure if you're not full time, or if you can't quote unquote hack it in the field, like for some reason that causes us to feel like we've failed, um, which I just, I hear time and time again, and it makes me so sad. Like there's what's, what's the failure in being able to recognize that something's not working for you. So that just, that stuck out to me as you were talking about your story. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I was just thinking 
about all the ways I felt like I failed. And when I left my full-time um, inpatient job, um, the one that I was saying, I, you know, I began hurting myself and I took some time away. Um, when I went to my boss for a reference later, she told me that she didn't feel comfortable writing one for me because I was unreliable. Yeah. And the reason she said that is because I had there, like I mentioned, the panic attacks that kept me from doing a, a, a group or from being at my job because I couldn't take care of myself. And I thought, you know, that's all I heard was that I'm unreliable, not mm -hmm. any of the context of it and not any of her stuff that might've been put on that or, you know, any, anything that the um, institution had put on her to say that to me, but I heard that for a really long time that I'm unreliable. Yeah. And that really hurt. Yeah. And I have to imagine, um, especially cause that was earlier in your career or earlier in your time as a therapist. Is that right? Like one of the first jobs like, you had? That was like, um, first full-time job I had. So that was like 2016. Okay. Yeah. So still, I mean, I, I imagine that <clears throat> that would be hard for pretty much anybody to hear uh, at any point in their career. Um, but to be in a place where you're struggling and you're having your own mental health concerns, you know, things that are happening where it's like, I, I need to take care of myself. And sometimes that means like not coming to work so that I can be well, um, to be told that that makes you just unreliable like that. I imagine that would stick with somebody for quite some time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, you know, today, <laughs> today, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten past it, but but yeah. not, it's taken a very long time, like sure. well into my copywriting career, not just, you know, leaving, um, uh, the field of therapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how did you wrestle with that feeling and how do you think that impacted you at like later on jobs that you had? Like, what did, what did that do? Well, it definitely made me feel like I was the problem. Mm -hmm. rather than the system or even just the location where I was because mm -hmm. um, every place is different but still the system is broken and you know kind of all the same um, so I think after that you know going to the job where I was working outpatient with um, the kids with autism and having all these migraines and not being able to be there and then saying to me like, okay, one more time and you're gone. Mm -hmm. And then it happened. And I was like, okay, well, obviously I'm unreliable. So, yeah. you know, I shouldn't be doing this. Um, all of that made me want to leave mm -hmm. the field of therapy. And so I think going into a job as a freelance copywriter where I'm in charge of my schedule Mm -hmm. Um, it took me a little while to realize like, oh no, I have control. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm not unreliable to anyone because I can decide if I want to work today. And if I don't, I can work double tomorrow mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, I can make my schedule shorter today and longer tomorrow if I need time. Mm -hmm. 
or I can take Mondays off because Mondays are a hard day for me to transition from the weekend. And mm -hmm. so things like that um, made it, gave me my power back, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm really curious um, just, you know, to hear from you that experience of leaving the field of psychotherapy in general. Um, Cause I I've had a couple other folks who have mentioned either considering it or who have also left. Um, and even that, even the thought itself for some people creates so much fear. So I'm wondering like, what was it like for you, that process of leaving? Well, I mean, again, I felt like I had failed on so many levels and I felt like I was at such a point based on my health and mental health status that I knew there was no other option at that point. Again, because I had tried so many times um, and I, I felt really bad about it. Like it was really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially because I didn't know exactly what I was going to do next. Yeah. And I had spent, you know, all that money and time in grad school to do this thing that now I wasn't going to get to do. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now working with therapists and psychologists and counselors and writing for them, you know, if I, I know their world so much more than your average copywriter because I, I was in it. I'm also, you know, a patron of therapy. So mm -hmm. I also like have experience with CBT and DBT and, you know, different types of mindfulness and like all different types of therapy. And so I understand what, where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. um, so, but that took a while to get there. I mean, that took me a year to even figure out that's something I could do. Mm -hmm. And then a couple more months to be like, I can do this for therapists. So I think that like, I don't know, the biggest thing for me was just permission, like giving myself permission yeah. to do what was good for me after yeah. I found out that I could. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. And in a strange way, like whether somebody stays in the field of therapy or leaves, like I find that that's a big thing for a lot of people is you see it on, on social media all the time. Like you have permission, you can give yourself permission to do X, Y, and Z. And it's nice to see that, but to actually like take that in and internalize it and actually be like, yeah, I do have permission from myself. Like I'm an adult. I can make these decisions for me. It's a whole different thing. Um, so I, I feel like I can partially identify with that feeling of like, can I do this? Yeah. Wait, yeah, I can do this. And it's actually good for me to be able to do this. And that's such a, it's such a weird feeling. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So once you finally recognized and internalized that you had permission from yourself and that you could do that, what happened for you? Well, I started to live my life again. Mm -hmm. I started doing things that brought me joy again. Um, I made time in the middle of my day to go take a walk 
at a time I wouldn't normally get to, for example, or mm -hmm. I, you know, would give myself a long lunch break to go to a deli and hang out and just read a book um, or end my day at three o'clock, God forbid, because, know. you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. Or like I said, take Monday off because Mondays don't work for me. Mm -hmm. Um so I also get to build my timeline of my, um, you know, deadlines. So I've started giving myself more buffers because mm -hmm. um, I was like, oh, one week turnaround. I can do that. And that wasn't working. For so, copywriting. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I was also working with less clients than I am. True. So yes. yep. now that I am much more established and have a lot more clients, I'm able to be like, okay, you'll get this in two or three weeks. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, done. And then I don't feel bad about it. So I think mm -hmm. that's part of it too, is I'm not apologizing for myself anymore, um, which I think is big because, yeah, I was, I was apologizing for, for who I was and what I was doing for so long mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I have my own um, mental health diagnosis and I was made to feel like, I had to A, hide that as a therapist and B, that it wasn't okay. Even mm -hmm. though we all know you and I, and a lot of people listening to this podcast, if not all of them, that we are wounded healers who come to this field because we have our own shit, right? So <laughs> like <Yep. laughs> we all come here because of some experience or something we have or something we've seen or something we've gone through or something, you know, we're dealing with. And so, you know, I, I think that it was just a matter of like, you know, being able to be okay with what I do have and what I need as that person who has a mood disorder, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that like, as I've gone through my career, um, you know, I've, I've shared on here, like, I don't, I guess I would consider myself sober. I've always said I just quit drinking, but like the more I think about it is like, I definitely struggled with alcohol prior to getting into this field. So I'm sober. I've been prescribed medication for anxiety. And like the times where I felt like I really needed to hide those parts of myself or that it was not okay for those things to show or even be remotely known to the people that I was working with and for it felt so like, it just felt destabilizing for me. Like I have to present as this person who is totally fine with wearing business casual all the fucking time <laughs> and who is perfect. Like when I would have clients tell me like, oh Meg, I bet you never make anybody mad. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, <laughs> I just, I'm really good at performing or at least I was. Right. Um, so I can totally identify with like, not apologizing anymore feels so good. Like yeah. I'm, I'm working with clients now who like they read maybe on my website, my bio, and they're like, it was nice to see you sharing that part of you. Cause now I feel more connected to you as a therapist. I'm like, Oh, it works. I can be myself. Yeah, yeah. it's true. And I think, you know, I, I think, I can't remember if you talked about this with some of your former guests, but I feel like you did because it's, you know, we're often drawn to working with the people 
who are like us, who are dealing with the same things we're dealing with. I see that a lot with my clients, right? Like mm -hmm. a survivor of narcissistic abuse works with survivors of narcissistic abuse. Yeah. And as a survivor of narcissistic abuse, writing for her was like, it all clicked into place. And that's not always the case, but mm -hmm. yeah, um, it, was, it was hard because whenever I would go into a new setting with a new supervisor, I always felt like I had to have the disclaimer. This is what I have. I'm on medication. Like you need to know this because, you know, I'm working with people who have mood disorders. I'm working with people who have PTSD, which I have. So being in that setting and not, you know, I didn't have a shield. Like I didn't have, I didn't have a barrier for myself. It was just everything was coming at me all the time. I never figured out how to, you know, get, get myself guarded and not, not guarded, but like, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. trying to have some kind of force field almost so that yeah. it's that what's coming at you is bouncing off of it rather than you're taking everything in. Yeah. And so I needed every, um, every supervisor to know that because I was like, this is going to be a problem. And I need you to know that this is going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like having to do that because I felt like I felt like I had to do it because I needed them to know, but I also felt like I shouldn't have had to do it and it shouldn't have mattered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you would tell that to folks, I mean, did you find overall throughout all of your jobs, like, did you get the type of support that you needed to help manage those things because like the way you talked about it previously it sounded like there were some folks who over time just weren't able to support you in the way that you needed yeah so I definitely had when I was full-time at the hospital um in 2016 for that year so that was pretty well into my career at that point and that was a terrible experience with a boss who didn't know how to support. That was the one who told me I was unreliable. She mm -hmm. just didn't know how to support me. She didn't know how to um, shield us from the hospital itself. Yeah. Um, and so, no, I didn't, I didn't feel my needs were met there. Um, I think the most time obviously was when I was a student in, um, in my internship, because yeah. again, your supervisor is like shielding you a bit. Mm -hmm. But they're also, I remember telling my supervisor the very first day, like, I have this and, you know, this is what I deal with. I'm like, this is what it's going to be like. And she was like, okay, do you feel better now? Like, <laughs> like it didn't matter to her. She was like, it's going to be an experience either way. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it just depended on the setting. But overall, no, I didn't feel like it made a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And that like, th this is not me necessarily disparaging supervisors or anything like that. Cause it's, I think, as you mentioned, although you were in a position where what this person was saying to you, she had a lot of power over you or because she was your supervisor. And there's a lot of like, I guess what I'm trying to say is when you're in those systems, it's hard to see the forest for the trees or the trees for whatever the saying is, because that supervisor likely has the pressures of the, the 
people on top pressing down on them, which makes it hard for them to support you, which makes it hard for you to support the clients in the way that they need. Just like all of this downward pressure for like productivity or, you know, quote unquote reliability or whatever it needs to be to the point where so much of the, um, the humanness is taken out of the job because there's such an overarching need for like making money or whatever it is, meeting productivity, meeting the requirements of the contracts that you have. Um, so to me, that speaks to not only like your personal experience of not feeling supported and also, as you mentioned, that larger system thing where it's like, it's across the board, this stuff is happening and yeah. it sucks. If you go back to what you just said about even just like making money, I mean, it's laughable what my salary was at the um, at the hospital. And then, you know, working part-time, you're not making that much money. So, you know, not that we go into this for the money, but it would be nice to make them. Yeah. Well, I mean, and maybe I've been like a bit radicalized in the way that I think about that because of the folks that I've talked to on the show, money comes up almost every single time for every person that I've talked to. And it's not because we as therapists are greedy. I'd say like, we're probably a bit of the opposite. We're very selfless when it comes to the time that we give and the energy that we give, like that is what in a lot of ways makes us really good at what we do, but it can also hurt us. Um, because there's that idea of like, well, we don't need to make a lot. We just need to be able to survive. Oh, we can't make enough to survive. Well, that's, that's okay. Like we're, we're fine. (laughs) I'm like, no, why? So it's, it's a big part of it, right? Like if it's not the only part, but I've heard from so many people that if they were making the type of money they needed to feel comfortable, a lot of other things would feel a little bit more manageable in the long term. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I switched over to copywriting and was in charge of how much I charged, that was hard at first because I mean, still is when I, you know, quote a number, I'm like, I cringe a little bit. Um, but you know, there's a lot that goes into, what I do just like there's a lot that goes into what you do and so Mm -hmm. many of your listeners and what I used to do Mm -hmm. um and now that I get to set my own rates you know it's very different yeah oh my gosh yeah and actually I think um I don't even think we touched on this yet, but an interesting thing for the listeners to know is that Allie and I have actually pretty much switched places because yeah. <laughs> like prior to coming into the therapy world, I was a copywriter. I was doing marketing, copywriting, not for therapists, but like sort of, I don't know, I was doing marketing. It was not great, but I started in that world and came to therapy and Allie started in therapy and came to this world. So like, that's also kind of a cool aspect of this. Um, and like, as I've moved into the therapy world away from copywriting, I've learned how important those skills of copywriting are in terms of being able to communicate a story about like, not the specific clients I serve, but like the clients and their pain points and what they're looking for and how to connect with them. I'm wondering how your background in therapy has helped you become a copywriter. Well, excuse me. Um, because I chose to write for therapists, it has been 
you know, so important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, it's important to, I know it's important to my clients. I know they really like that. I was a therapist. Um, because I, like I was saying, you know, I, I get it. I've seen it. I've done it. Um, maybe not, I haven't done private practice, but I see so many of them going into private practice for the reasons we've been talking about for Mm -hmm. the burnout reasons, um, to have control over their schedule, to have control over their, uh, client caseload. And so I think that all of that has informed the way that I approach my clients, but also just the way that I am able to write about things that I, I, I have experience with, like I've seen it. So mm-hmm. if I'm writing a blog um, about, you know, I don't know, uh, relationships and, and couples, you know, um, reconnecting after feeling like they fell out of love. Yes, I didn't work with couples counseling directly, but boy, do I know where to look for resources and do I know, you know, what types of therapy the person who's working with them, who is my client is going to be writing about or wants to, wants me to write about. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have a greater sense, you know, I'm writing for, I write for a couple trauma therapists and it's like, Mm -hmm. I've seen trauma therapy. I've been in trauma therapy. I know trauma therapy, like not that it makes me an expert, but it gives me a good baseline. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I would argue, I mean, within your niche of writing for therapists, you are kind of an expert in being able to provide those specific writing uh, services for trauma therapists. Cause like, like you said, you've done it, you've been in it, you know, that world, like you're bringing something so unique um, to the people that you're working with. And I think what really strikes me is like a lot of therapists are, we're so good at knowing and being able to talk about like the, um, the evidence-based stuff or like the outcomes and like what, what the modalities are supposed to do. But I think what I've seen a lot of people struggle with is translating that into words that, um, you know, clients who are probably in a state of distress, like translating that into a way that those clients can understand it and easily connect to it and feel comfortable reaching out. Um, so I imagine like your understanding of the methods and the modalities and your skill in writing also makes it really quite a bit easier to translate, like what this actually means for the client. Like what does EMDR even mean? Right. What is CBT? Like, I don't understand. I just need help. Like, yeah, absolutely. And I think also like when it comes to, you know, search engine optimization, SEO and writing, um, you know, a website that is optimized, you need to know what are they Googling? Like, mm-hmm. how are they going to find you? Are they Googling EMDR near me? Maybe, but probably not. They're probably Googling, you know, um, how do I help my trauma or how do I find a trauma therapist or, you know, women trauma therapists near me or, um, you know, I don't, I don't have, I'm not good at examples off the cuff, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're not, um, you're not necessarily Googling EMDR trauma therapy yeah. in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. just probably not. You might be, but 
a lot of times it's, it's, it's deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like a lot of folks may not even recognize for themselves, um, especially if they haven't been a consumer of therapy frequently or recently that they have trauma. Um, and so they may be searching for like anxiety therapist or depression therapist or stress, um, you know, and, and through the work come to realize like, Oh, all that stuff that happened when I was a kid was actually like, not great. Yeah. (laughs) Why am I crying all the time? Like, (laughs) there must be something totally wrong with me. And it's nothing like, I'm just a weirdo. Like, no, right. Right. (laughs) Something happened. Yeah. 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 And I I think that's such a valuable thing to be able to communicate to clients. Um, and like to help, help therapists, because like, whether you're in community mental health or you're in private practice, like you're just, you're just trying to do your best clinical work. Mm -hmm. Um, trying to focus on how to communicate that to clients can be, that's an extra skill set right there is like being able to talk about what it is that you do. So, yeah. And I think that, you know, as someone who was a creative arts therapist that a lot of people don't know what that is, mm-hmm. I had to get good at my elevator pitch of like, yeah. this is what dance room therapy is. This is what you can expect. And this is what we're going to do in group go Mm -hmm. so like I think even just practicing talking about yourself and what you do in your therapy Mm -hmm. you know because if you're if you're someone who they know they're coming to you for EMDR and trauma therapy like they at least know what it is once they've come to you at least Mm -hmm. um but if you're running a group in a psychiatric hospital with a whole bunch of people who've never had that before you need to explain every time what you're doing Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I just think that's super cool. Um, that even though you left the field of psychotherapy, like you've been able to bring what sound like some of your favorite parts with you, like you're able to continue having an impact in the field and working with other therapists, um, in a way that works for you and that you've decided is good for you. Yeah. And it took me a little while to realize to phrase what I do into like I help therapists Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like it's really easy to just be like I write I do this I market you but Mm -hmm. it's like no I help you brand yourself I help you connect with your ideal client I help you bring in new clients through this type of writing like Mm -hmm. I help you expand your services like those are things that I help therapists do Mm -hmm that was hard to translate to my brain for a while, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds like you were having to at least professionally reconceptualize yourself and what you were doing, even though you're still connected to the therapy world is in a very different way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can see that being exciting, but also a challenge to be like, I'm, I was a therapist. I, I helped here. Like, yeah, that would take some time. Yes. Mm-hmm. So since you have switched over to owning your own business and writing for therapists, um, how else has your life changed? Well, my, um, husband travels a lot for work. He works in the theater industry mm-hmm. and, 
it's very difficult when he goes away for me um, to manage for long stretches of time for multiple reasons. So now that I am my own boss, I'm location independent and my time is completely my own, I can travel with him everywhere. So Mm -hmm. we're actually getting ready to travel to San Francisco um, for a show he's doing. We'll be in Toronto for three months and winter into spring. Um, We are able to be wherever we need to be Mm-hmm. And I can do that from wherever I am. Yeah. Um, so that's changed my life a lot. Yeah. Um, that's been the biggest, the biggest thing. And that was one of the reasons I, I pursued copywriting was like, what's a job I can do from anywhere? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically. So I would say that's the biggest one. Um, and then otherwise, just like feeling a sense of agency and ha- taking control of my life back. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned before, you know, the ability to take a Monday off and not ruin my week, yeah, you know, yeah, um, is is great. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know, if I have a day um, that started like today that could go anywhere, anytime, <laughs> you know, I have the ability to say, you know what. We're going to take a step back today and we're going to try this again tomorrow. Yep. Um, so yep. yeah, I would say those two things have been the biggest life changers. Awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned a sense of agency. And as you said that a question popped into my mind, which was like, from your perspective, what do you think it is about the mental health field in general that causes therapists to feel like they have no agency? Hmm. It's a really good question, Meg. Um, I think that, and I could be way off base on on what you think, um, but I think that there just feels like there's a lot of rules and a lot of red tape you have to go through and a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of um, broken systems that you are a cog in a wheel. At least that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was in charge of my own life working in the hospital or even working at the agency with the kids with autism. Like I was just, you know, one person. Um, and I think, I think you brought this up in a, in a previous episode too. It was like, if I'm not there, the world goes on and they don't, it doesn't matter. Like, like my presence there. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, mm-hmm. whether I'm there or not. Yeah. I mean, it's great if I am there because then they're not, they're not hurting for another therapist. But they'll, they'll replace me. No problem. They did. Yep. yep. Life went on. Pretty much. Yeah. Didn't matter. My life didn't go on for a while, but theirs did. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know exactly if I'm answering your question, but mm-hmm. I feel like you don't have control when you're in that kind of situation over your own job and life Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I know that um and that did answer the question and I I can relate like although for the folks that I do work with and more and more over time I've tried to shift my own thinking back to like 
even though there are things you cannot control about those situations, like it's really important for us as therapists, just like our clients to understand that we, we do still deserve to have agency and control over where we work. Um, I know for a lot of folks, like the reason that it feels like there's no control is because of, I mean, so many things, the way our, our society is built, we need the job for health insurance, income, blah, 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 like not. And I, like, I recognize that there are lots and lots and lots of folks who at this point in their life cannot give up those jobs because they need what the jobs offer. And that's a really, it's an icky place to be. Um, even so like it's, I think for me in my burnout journey, it was important. And it sounds like for you too, to recognize eventually that there was agency to be had and that regardless of the professional decisions that you make, like having that agency and empowering yourself to make decisions that work for you. Um, that's, it's huge in being able to combat, combat and eventually heal from burnout is saying like, I can give myself permission to do these things. Yeah. And just to tie it into what I do now, um, mm -hmm. out of the field of therapy, you know, of what, yes, burnout exists in every job. So there will be burnout mm -hmm. in cognitive. I mean, that's just the way it is, but I'm trying to avoid that by limiting my client base so that I'm working with fewer clients for more money. Yeah. Um, and that's taken a while. There was a point where I was, I had 12 clients at once and I was making like, you know, a couple thousand dollars a year or not a month. I'm sorry, not even yeah. a month. And that was just crazy. I was like bending over backwards for all these people and mm. I was charging very little and I didn't know. Um, but now I'm able to say, you know what? No, I'm not taking on anyone until January. Or yeah. no, I'm not going to do that project because I don't want to, because I don't think it aligns with my beliefs. So I don't think it aligns with my, um, my timeline or my process, you know, and that's mm -hmm. really powerful, um, and empowering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to do that for yourself, regardless of the industry that you're in, um, to whatever degree you're able to, uh, I mean, again, I found for myself and for other people, like taking that sense of agency and doing what you can with it. It's just, it feels good. <laughs> it feels really good to say like, no, no, I'm not doing this. Or yes, I love this project and I'm going to take it on. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, um, it sounds like you are nearing the time that you will be leaving Philly. You're in Philly, right? Yes. 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 So leaving yeah. Philly, going to San Francisco. Um, burnout aside and job stuff aside like that sounds super cool like <laughs> what, what are you guys gonna do when you're in San Francisco yeah so I mean we are we did San Francisco two years ago um because my husband is um he works for a company that makes people fly um <laughs> in theater so he's been working on the Harry Potter and Cursed Child show for a long time yeah and it's in lots of different cities so he's been working in New York we are um, going to San Francisco to help remount the show. Um, so he'll be doing that. I'll be working. I made some friends when I was there last, uh, a couple of years ago when we first put the show up. So I'll be, you know, spending time with them. Um, we're there for like five or six weeks. Mm -hmm. So 
um, just long enough to like be in the city and, and get the feel back and all of that and then leave. Um, and then Toronto will be a whole new adventure because we I've been there once and I was 15. So yeah. it's going to be very different. Um, I am hoping, you know, with, with, with the pandemic, it's really hard to know what things are going to look like. Like mm -hmm. before I would have said, I'm going to do meetups. I'm going to do adult recreation, kickball leagues. Like I'm mm -hmm. going to do all of these things, um, a book club, like, and now I don't know what that looks like. So yeah. it's a little, it's a little, you know, up in the air, but we'll be there together. And that's the important part. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, after that, we may be moving to New York. So <laughs> like in a permanent sense or another, yeah. oh. like, no, like instead of coming back to Philly, we may be moving to New York. Yeah. Um, so we, that's new. <laughs> and uh, a lot of this is exciting but very up in the air and I don't like up in the air so mm -hmm. um I don't know who does but <laughs> I really don't work well with like not knowing what's coming next yeah so we'll see what happens yeah <laughs> I mean what a what a leap of faith that like I mean I can only imagine for myself and this is just like life circumstances <laughs> right now because we have cats and my stepson's in high school so it's like we we wouldn't be able to do that but like even thinking into the future like if I stay teletherapy I could conceivably work with folks who live in Indiana where my license is but like live in I don't know Colorado or New York and it's like it's cool how things are changing for a lot of people in a lot of ways and like you're one of those examples of doing what works for you and like being able to take some of those risks and saying, yep, we're just, we're going to San Francisco and then Toronto. And then I guess we'll see. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie, feeling a little, a little envious, but also mostly just like excited for you. Um, and kind of hoping that like for folks who are listening, especially for people who are listening, who are maybe considering um, leaving the field of psychotherapy, I'm hoping that they can hear this and say somebody like somebody else did it and they're actually living a life that seems pretty damn cool. And like, they're able to make money doing something that they really feel aligned with and it's not therapy and that's okay. And don't get me wrong. It was a hard road to get sure. to a point took me about a year to make some money. So I'm not, yeah. not going to glamorize, you know, this field as soon as you own to freelance. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but once you get to a point where you're comfortable and you're, you know, make, you're doing things and you're really helping people, it's, um, yeah, it's really, it's really rewarding. And I, I hope that for people who are feeling like they need to, make a change and leave their job and are afraid to, that they can explore that there are other things out there, whether it's copywriting, whether it's website design, whether, you know, for therapists, there are lots of, I know, I know many um, 
website designers who only work with therapists. I know mm -hmm. SEO strategists who only work with therapists. I know copywriters who only work with therapists. Like it's possible to stay in the field if that's something you want to do um, or come do something completely different. That's great too. Yeah. But in, in my world, this is what I know. And this yeah. is what has worked for me. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, of course, with almost pretty much any, any industry, of course, there's going to be that upstart time. Um, same is true for therapists, right? Like you, you don't just automatically, most people don't automatically just jump right into a thriving private practice. I think some people maybe do, but with any job, you do find that there is a buildup to being where you want to be. Um, and I, I know for myself, um, if I'm in a place where things are feeling really gross and not good, um, I know that I want that immediacy of like jumping to something and it being amazing. I've also, I feel like I've learned over time that like, I have my own process that I need to follow to make those things a reality for myself. Um, and there's, there's a lot that happens in that process in and of itself to get to the point where you are doing something that you really feel aligned with. Um, and even when it's hard, at least what I experienced and what I hope for people otherwise is like that process can also teach you something about yourself and your own, your own self as your own boss and what you need out of the working world. And I would also say, you know, as someone who became an entrepreneur without realizing what that was going to be, yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. um, if you're going into private practice, you are also an entrepreneur. Yep. And I think that that's a mindset shift that is hard for, especially those of us who are working as cogs in the wheel or as in community health or in inpatient psych or in wherever you agency or wherever you're coming from mm -hmm. to become your own boss to be in charge of everything to be and and all the things that means that means like you know your finances and your paperwork and your forms and your like you know do I have an office space do I have an assistant do I hire people like all of that is suddenly on you. Mm -hmm. And so even if you're not going into your own business as a copywriter or, you know, a web designer or something, and you're going into a business as a therapist, like you are a business owner, you are an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, something that is a mentality shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you notice that you had to shift the most when you became a business owner? I think not having to ask permission. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, wait, who do I need to get to approve this? Oh, wait. Right. Me. <laughs> right. My husband will always be like, I'll be like, I think I need tomorrow off. He's like, talk to your boss. <laughs> okay. Boss, self. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Asking for permission from yourself. That's, it seems like it would be easy, but then once you get to it, I mean, I've encountered that for myself too, where I'm like, do I want to work at that time? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. I guess I can do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What, what other shifts did you have to make mentally when you became an entrepreneur? Um, I think, oh, a big one was being able to say no to people mm -hmm. 
um, being able to say this isn't the right fit, I'm still not great at it, but um, being able to choose who I work with and mm -hmm. say, you know what, I don't think we're the right fit, but let me pass you on to someone who might be. Mm -hmm. um, or saying, no, I don't do that. I don't do that service. Like I tried yeah. social media for a while. I was terrible at it. I was absolutely terrible at it. Um, like for other clients, like I just wasn't good at it. So I, yeah. I don't, I don't do it. So when someone asks me for social media, I refer them out to other people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, that took some time to be like, oh, okay. You don't have to do everything. Mm -hmm. It's okay to niche down. I mean, mostly I like to write websites and blogs. That's like my bread and butter. Like that's what I enjoy doing the most. Mm -hmm. um, I will do other things uh, for clients that I really like. But <laughs> as far as what I <laughs> offer on my website, that's what it is. Yeah. And psychology data profiles. Right. Um, yeah. So I think just being able to say no was was big mm -hmm. yeah yeah so being able to say no and giving yourself permission to do what you needed to do for yourself and it also sounds like I mean there's definitely the very logistical side of owning a business like setting the fees and setting the hours and having the forms that you need um I mean, the, the common saying is they didn't teach any of that in grad school, obviously, because they needed to focus on other things. But like, there's so much that you learn in the process of starting something for yourself that is both very personal, like having your own business is a very personal thing is what I'm learning. But then there's also a very logistical side where it's like, oh, I need to have things that legally protect me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> creating contracts, creating invoices, creating your LLC, like getting all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, it sounds like, although it was, it was a hard road for you to get where you are. Like, it sounds like things are really just starting to flourish for you and you're able to explore a lot of stuff, which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's been, three years since I've engaged in any self-harm behaviors. Mm. Um, I, you know, I still have my mood disorder. that's never going away. I take medication. I go to therapy. It is what it is. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think my lifestyle change has really made a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I think it's, it's really, it, like you said, it's been a long road, but it's, um, could have been longer and I'm mm -hmm. glad I found it you know when I did mm -hmm. so yeah. cool uh, well this was such a good conversation and usually when I end these I like to pose one last question uh, to my guests which is if you were to leave the audience with something to chew on or something to think about uh, at the end of our talk today what would you want them to know I'm going to say it again, because we already talked about it, but <laughs> give yourself permission to be you, mm -hmm. to do what you need and to really live the life that you want to live. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to be a slave to the clock and you don't want to be a slave to, you know, even to the work that you're doing. I mean, yes, 
you love it. That's why you're doing it. But figure out what you need. And if what you need is something different, even though it's scary, see if you can. I mean, I know a lot of people go into private practice like on the side at first mm-hmm. and then ease their way in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that if that's for you, go for it. If mm-hmm. you want to jump all in and do it, go for it. If you want to leave the field and go do something else, go for it, but give mm-hmm. yourself permission to live your life the way you want it to, because you don't have to be, you know, suffering to, to do the work. Right. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is like, I thought I, that was part of the job. Like I was in pain because my clients were in pain. So that's why I was suffering. And that's not true. And that's not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of um, a previous guest or guest that I had on the um, Sarah and Johanna from Therapist Next Door. And Mm -hmm. Joanna shared the same thing. Like you don't have to suffer in order to be a good therapist. Like you don't have to go through burnout. It doesn't need to be part of your journey in order to like be a therapist yeah even though that's like some somehow we come to believe that (laughs) we wear it as a badge of honor instead of realizing that it's terrible (laughs) yes yes and um how will we like not do that anymore (laughs) if only it was that easy I don't know but well yeah Cool. Well, I, I definitely appreciate that advice. It's always good for me to hear that reminder. I'm sure the listeners too, for those who are connecting with your story, like, yes, permission, you have it from us, even though you don't need it from us, but also you deserve to give that to yourself. So awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ali, for talking about your story today and sharing everything about, you know, your journey from being a therapist to no longer being a therapist, but staying in that world. Um, I really appreciated it. Yeah, thank you, Meg, for having me. This was really great. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I hope that whoever or wherever you are, you can start having more conversations in your circles of support about better ways to support ourselves and to support each other through burnout. If you like today's show, please make sure to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on there to help get the word out. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time, take care of yourselves, and I will see you again soon.